Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. So, Father, thank you that we are here. Thank you that your love is bigger than our brokenness. Thank you that you're richer than all of our shame, and you declare us not guilty. Thank you, Father, that you are the God on whom our our faith depends, that you are unchanging, that that you are perfect in all of your ways, that you are the God who, who never changes, who never fails, and we were created by you and for you to know you and to, to worship you and to live for you, and you are the one that sustains us and, and, and reconciles us back to you. This morning, Father, as we open the scriptures, I pray that you would speak to us that the Spirit of the living God would illuminate uh, the truth, the words which you have written. And may we embrace them and be moved by them and changed by them and sense the power of them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you and welcome. So, uh, hey, we're going to do something just a little bit different. I'm inserting about 10 extra minutes into uh, a little uh, history I'm going to talk about. And then we're going to jump into the message. The message is that Jesus is greater than Jonah. And so a lot of us couldn't be here last week, so I'm going to do a little review, and then we'll do the message there. Jesus is greater than Jonah. But I'm so excited about our future. And last year, I did a little, I did a message actually, and I talked about our future. And I talked at our 2018 anniversary. And I talked about the history of Sanctuary Church. I talked about the vision. And I wanted to just quote a few things that I, that I said from there. So some of these things I'm going to say, they're just actual quotes from a talk that I did last year. And I said this. I said, and I quote myself, in 2007, <laughs> we launched chapter one of Sanctuary with no money in the bank, no staff, no offices, and no support or sending church. And God grew the church. God protected the church. God sustained and supplied for the church this remarkable 11-year run. We gained traction and sanctuary took root in the soul of the community. (coughs) And then I said, in your generosity, you've given away tens of thousands of dollars to the poor. Your generosity has built loft houses in Mexico. You've sent teams to Houston for disaster relief. If you cared for the orphans in Zimbabwe, you've sent tens of thousands of dollars to those orphans. You've packed, and packed food for the marginalized. You've given sleeping hundreds of sleeping bags. And in chapter 1, just so many people found Jesus. So hundreds were baptized. Hundreds found meaningful community. We moved to this, this campus here. Uh, we started the, the, the ministry center. Uh, your generosity made that happen. We launched Rooted. We've had over 500 graduates, and so we became who we said that we were, and that is we're a church in the community and for the community to bless the community, and so that was established, and we gained traction there, and I said, and we've grown up, and we've come of age here, and so we've solidified our identity as a church, and we've solidified our values, and so chapter one, I said, was a, was a God story, and I have no doubt about God's continued faithfulness to us in chapter 2. So I'm confident to my core, I said, that God will usher us into chapter 2 and he will do immeasurably more than we could ask or think. And then I said this. I said, now, chapter 2 is here. Chapter 2 is here. I said, in all of you, you can be founders of chapter 2. You can get in on chapter 2. So I said, everyone can get in on the ground floor and be founders of chapter 2. And you're invited to jump in and be a great part of something great for God and build something great for our community. God has put vision in our hearts, and vision is what motivates you. Vision is what <coughs> excuse me, unites us together and creates momentum and 
challenges us and inspires us to be a part of something that is greater than ourselves. And then I talked about, I, I drilled down, I talked about four parts of the vision. I just want to remind you what those four parts of the vision were for Sanctuary Church in chapter 2. I said the first thing is this, is look, you just need to know this, that families are important to us. Uh, we're going to fight for families. We're going to fight for families because families matter. We're going to provide resources for families. Uh, we're going to do all, everything we can for children, everything uh, we can for, for young adults, for, for students. And for children, their innocent matters and their future matters and their potential matters. So we did things like parent nights. And that, that, that came out of this vision here. We decided we're going to step in the ring and, and we're going to be serious. We're going to fight for families. So, friends, we fight for every sanctuary family because this is really what we're called to do and what Christ would do. So I said that's the first part of the, the vision is we're going to fight for families. And then I said we're going to call out the best in every Christ follower. So we're going to challenge you to be everything that you could be by the grace of God there. We're going to challenge you and keep pushing on you and pressing on you that to, to push you out of your comfort zone, to be everything you can in worship, to worship all that he is and all that he's done with all that we are, to push you to be a part of a meaningful community, to push you to find your place in service. So we're going to push against you. And we said we're going to call out the best in every Christ follower, and that's what we're going to do in chapter 2. And then we said the third thing we're going to do is we're going to risk boldly to reach. We're going to be bold about reaching our community. I want to do things. We're going to leverage every resource we have to reach the community. So uh, we did something like we started Trunk or Treat last year to reach the community. Uh, we're, we're going to do more outreaches, uh, things we do like Vacation Bible School and Easter Experience and all of that and, and, uh, and, and the sleeping bags and police department and fire department. All those things we do on leveraging the holidays is to reach the community. And then I said number four, and that is we're going to begin the journey to establish a permanent home for sanctuary. We'd actually been on the journey, but we were ramping up our being intentional about that journey. And I said this, and I quote, I'm this is a straight quote. We have been homeless for 11 years. God has provided this great campus here at Mesa View. But in chapter 2, we want to pursue a permanent home. And our future home will be a place where the community can come and discover how to find Jesus and follow Jesus further who he is. And I invite you to join me, I said, as we together build our very first church building. Imagine the lives will be changed. Imagine the stories that we will hear. It says, and imagine the families that will be reached, the spiritually lost people will meet God. And we'll build a church and shine the light of Christ to the Inland Empire and beyond. And so we've been, we've been looking, and I just wanted to update you on, the, on our journey here. And so we've been homeless for 12 years, and we've looked at a number of properties, but God has made one thing very clear, and that is that we are to have a permanent home. So we've been resting on that and resting on his promise, and we've known that God would open the door, but we just don't really have known when. And so we've been dreaming about when we'd have a campus here, and so that we can experience, the community can experience God in a powerful way. It's been great to be here, and we're so grateful for this, but we're also looking forward to the future when we'd be able to have a permanent home. And so most recently, I just want to update you on this, most recently we found a property that's been very intriguing to us, and I just want to show you this property here. This is a Hoover Egg Ranch. Some of you know, have heard of, heard of it. It's been in, in uh, Yucaipa for over 50 years, so that's it. So it's four and a half acres there, and so it's already, it's level, uh, it's got parking there, and that building, there's, uh, those are trucks, things, uh, this is aerial view, those are trucks. That's a 20,000 square foot building there. So 
Um, interestingly, uh, Steve Mason, uh, who is a pastor here, was used to be a commodity broker for four, 40 years ago. And so when he was a commodity broker for 40, 40 years ago, he sold hundreds of tons of grain to the owner of that building. So we just had this little connection there. And so we, we told, uh, slow down, slow down, slow down. Just slow down. Go back, just slow down. Okay, go back to the other one. Go back. Okay, show that warehouse from the inside. So this is the inside of the warehouse here. So anyway, so this is about uh, maybe eight or 10,000 square feet. So there's this middle wall in the middle there. There's is a wall that could come down. So there's a great space there that is, uh, is begging, is screaming to be a church someday. So what we did then, screaming to be a church, just screaming. And so, so there was four, the, the real estate uh, realtor told us there was 40 parties that wanted to look at it. And so we thought, well, gosh, we got to find a way that we could look at it. So it just worked out that um, uh, he, he jumped online and saw the church. And he saw people in the church that, that, he, that he knew, uh, Ridge Burns and Todd, uh, Todd Matson is uh, uh, his friend, a good friend, business friend also. And so we're looking at this and, uh, in 2014. Uh, it sold for $2 million in 2014, but it was up for sale for $600,000. And so we thought, well, you're talking our love language now. You're talking our love language. So uh, we, we, can, we can do that. And so, uh, so we made an offer, and um, we asked him to carry back a third of the, of the, of the uh, cost of uh, $200,000. And, um, and so he said yes to that. And then... Um, uh, and then he, and we said, we'll pay you interest. He says, no, you don't have to pay me interest. I'll carry an interest-free loan for you for $200,000 for two years. And so, yeah. So anyway, um, it's, four, it's four and a half acres. It's right off of, of uh, Wildwood Canyon uh, Road there. And so the location is perfect for us. And I feel like this is our future home. I feel like this is it. And so we've been sweating bullets the, the past couple weeks sorting it out. But the owner has agreed to sell us the property, and we'll be signing the papers this week. So that'll be our future home. <laughs> so it just gives me such great pleasure to introduce to you for the very first time that that is where you'll be worshiping Jesus, and for generations we'll be there. And so, um, so it's super awesome. And uh, we're so grateful to God. And it's a God thing. It really, it really is. Uh, there's a lot of details that I didn't have time to explain. That really just point to is absolutely God's miraculous gift to us. And so God is for us and not against us. We have a future home. So we're going to be entering in a new season. It's a new season of moving toward having our own home there. So, but we can't get there unless uh, it's uh, it's sweet dreams. There's a lot of sweat equity. A lot of uh, we're going to raise money. We'll be talking about that. Uh, in, in a few weeks about uh, a commitment Sunday on November 3rd. And we also need to just raise some money, just kind of an upstart. So if you could be a part of that, we would love that. We'd love that. We need to raise about thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 in the next couple of weeks here. And so uh, we need you to be a part of that journey. And so to make a, a gift that way, and uh, you can put those, you can do that online or in the offering boxes. But this is what I would ask you to do. This is what I'd ask you to do. Just say, God, like, what would you have me do at this moment with what you've given me? Just, just pray that prayer. 
no pressure, but just, God, what would you have me do at this moment with what you have given me as we begin this journey here? And so uh, it's awesome. It's so awesome. So I'm so excited. So anyway, let's just put our hands together and thank God for that. Isn't that awesome? So, uh, so we're going to shift gears here. We're going to talk about Jesus is greater than Jonah. I'm going to talk about seven realities of when you run from God. So if you're new to church, like I get it. I get it when people talk about Jonah that you're wondering, like, where do you stand? Before I, I listen to you, like, where do you stand with the whole Jonah getting swallowed by the whale? And how do you deal with that? And do you think that really happened, you know? And so here's, I want to tell you where I land on that. Uh, I've, I, I've studied this over the years extensively, and here's where I land. I believe it here, but I want to say this. I believe a lot more crazy things than this. Let me just unpack that for you. I do believe this, but I believe way more crazy things than this. I actually believe crazier things like this, that there's a God that loved us so much that what God did is God came to our planet. God was born through a teenage virgin. I mean, imagine this, that the God, that Almighty God was in the womb of teenage Woman, woman there, about 14 years old, and God came into this planet through the, her, her birth canal. I mean, give me a break. How crazy is that? But I believe that. And so I believe that Jesus put himself on a cross, and as he was on the cross, all of my sin, that the God-man was hanging on a cross, and all of my sin was like marvelously put onto him. And exchange for that, I don't deserve it at all here, but he did something that no one has ever done. And all of his forgiveness when I believe in him, all of his forgiveness and all of his righteousness is like given to me. And I don't have to do anything to deserve that. I mean, is that crazy or what? How crazy is that? And so I believe way crazier things here than Jonah. And I believe things like this, that Jesus died a death he didn't deserve for a people that didn't deserve it, that he was crucified, and, and, and then he, he died. The tomb, the tomb was, was sealed there. And three days later, a dead man came out of the tomb, and death reversed itself. Death worked backwards, and Jesus came out of the tomb. He was seen by over 500 people here. And he did all of that. He walked out of tomb. I mean, come on, somebody. That's crazy. That's really crazy. And I believe all of that. I, and I believe a lot more crazier things. And so it's not that hard for me to believe that Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights here. And I get it. Some of you are not. But maybe some of you, you're like, well, that's good for you. But I don't know if I believe that. Hey, that's fine. There's only like three verses about the whale. So let's not get hung up on the whale here. You, if you say, I'm not buying into that part of the story. Hey, God bless you. We love that you're here. You, if you don't buy, buy into it, there's a whole lot here that has nothing to do with the whale. In fact, that's a little small, infinitesimal, mini part of the story here. It is not sensationalized. It's, not, it's just mentioned as a matter of fact. In fact, Jesus says it, says it like it's a matter of fact here. The big story of Jonah is this. It's the big story of the Bible. And that is that people just like you run from God. And God pursues you. So in chapter 1 of the opening scene, we're caught up. 
Uh, we talked about this. And all the tension and all the drama of the story here. And the opening of, of Jonah, I think it reminds us a little bit of like Jaws. A few people saw Jaws. Like There was just tension there. But I want to take a look at who Jonah is and, and, uh, and where Jonah was asked to go. And so I want to draw your attention to 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. It says this. So this, this actually relates to what we're going to talk about. It says, Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Lebo, Hamnath, and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hepher. So what I want you to see is this. Is Look at this map here, and this is where Jonah lived. There he lived. You can see the star there. See the star right there? So that's the map there, and there's Gath-Hepher. Okay, so this is where God was calling him to be. He was calling him to go there from there to, look at here, where's Nineveh. So Nineveh. So Nineveh is that way. So he's by, he's, uh, he's going to go to Joppa on the port. That's where he's going to end up going. But he's supposed to go to Nineveh there. So that's where God called him to go. It's about 500 miles east of where he was living there. So he was to speak to them, but they were the most awful people imaginable. And so he had other ideas, even though God called him there. And so look on the map where he goes. He goes to Spain, actually, to Tarshish. That's 2,500 miles. So instead of going 500 miles east, he goes 2,500 miles there in the opposite direction of what God asked him to do. And so we unpacked that a little bit last week, and I want to expand on that here. So, so all that to say this. Imagine all the people there in Joppa and Gath-Hepter, they know who Jonah is. And Jonah's like a prophet. He's like this person that hears from God. This person speaks from God. Everybody respects him. Everybody loves him here. He brought great news there about Israel, that God's nation Israel would be blessed. And he used to speak to the nation. And now he's asked not to speak to the nation, but go speak to another nation, Syria there. And so, uh, 500 miles away. And so now the prophet, what he does is he runs from God. And imagine what this does in the minds of all the people that think, man, we respect Jonah. We love Jonah. Jonah hears from God. He speaks for God. And Jonah now is running in the opposite direction of the place that God called him to be. So and they think like, well, well, do I run from God? Am I a person that would do that? Do I say no to God and do my own thing? I mean, look at Jonah, a prophet, and, and what about me? And so am I just like Jonah? So we're going to see here do you, that you can see yourself in the story because Jonah is called there to modern-day Iraq. It's like being asked to, to speak to the, the Taliban there and ISIS and to tell them about God. And there are people that have been skinning everyone alive there. This is the most intimidating place that he ever could have been asked to go there. And so it's brutal. It's savage. It's inhumane what they would do. But that's where he was asked to go. And so what I want to do here is unpack to you, unpack to you, Seven things that result from our, our <clears throat> running from God. This would be the equivalent of God saying, hey, I want you to go to the Grand Canyon. I've got something for you to do in the Grand Canyon. And you say, no, I'm feeling Maui. I'm feeling Maui, the beaches of Maui, like he was feeling Spain. And so, and you head off to go to Maui here and go 2,500 miles in the opposite direction here. But I just want to say this because sometimes we can look at Jonah and say, well, what was he doing? But we're, we're just like Jonah. 
I have the exact opposite desires and reactions just like Jonah. In other words, I, ob- I disobey the commands of God. I go in the opposite direction of what God asked me to do here. And I don't know if there's anyone here that you lived your life and you've, you've done everything that God has revealed for you to do. No, so really all of us here, we are just like Jonah. When you say no to God, when I say no to God, all of us say no to God. And so I want to unpack for us here the seven results that happen when you run from God. Number one, and this is review, but number one is this. You always spiral downward in your notes there. You always spiral downward. Now think about this. Think about this. When I go in the opposite direction, when I go in the opposite direction of what God calls me to do here, I am, I'm, it's not just an isolated part of my story, but that affects all of who I am. Watch. It affects all of who I am, and I become less of who I am destined to be. I become less than who God desires me to be. I can't just isolate that one thing. There is, a, there is an impact over the whole of your life. You're becoming less than who you could be if you would say yes to God and go in the direction that he would have for your life there. And so every time you step away from God, the reality is this, you're choosing a direction. It's not neutral. You're choosing a direction that's not neutral, but it's a downward direction. And so many times I've thought I was going up, when in the reality is you're going down. Imagine Joseph, I mean, Jonah thinking that, man, I'm going to Tarshish. Like, it's awesome there. Tarshish is like Spain, and he never even gets there. And the language of the passage here shows that he just keeps going down. So it's not just a literary explanation but there's a Hebrew words that are used there to show that he's going down. The, the repetitive use of the word down there, that he goes down to Joppa and down to the ship and down into the belly of a whale and then down farther into the sea. And the language is showing that, look, when you disobey God, you are going down. And so the, the language screams that. And so the best plan for my life is always God's plan. It's always a plan to take me up. But we choose plans to take us down. And that is application in all of our life, relationships and everything. So secondly here, when you run from God, there will always be a ship. There will always be a ship. There will always be a, there's always be a ship to go where you want to go. Whether it's relationally or vocationally, you name it, there's a ship that you can take that will wreck your life. A ship there that will damage you. A ship that if you go on that ship, it will leave you with boatloads of regret. There's a ship always going the way that you want to go that you could run from God. And so you've heard people maybe say things like this, maybe a friend. Oh, I'm just not happy and fill in the blank, this relationship. I know God wants me to be happy, so I'm married. But hey, there's this wonderful person, though, who's listening to me and that God has provided. Hey, there will always be a ship. There will always be a, there, there, but God did not provide that ship. Not to be confused with another word there. God did not provide that. And so when you run from God, number three, number three, you'll never reach your destination. Think about that. You never reach your destination. See, Joppa Joppa was the place that he was at. He headed there to Tarshish, but he would never get to Tarshish. 
He was determined to get to Tarshish, but he never gets there. And he set sail towards something other than God. And he never got there, God's plan for his life. Really, that's a picture of our life. You will never get to Tarshish. Don't, Jonah dreamed about what it would be like there. And so, but it never happened. And there are things that we can want that are Tarshish-like there, that we run from God, but the reality is they're never going to satisfy you. They're never really going to happen. They're never going to quench the longing because God is the only person that can really quench the longings in your heart. So when you go in the opposite direction of God's calling for your life, it will never, it'll never satisfy. It'll never quench the thirst of your soul there. When you run from God, even when you maybe you, you say in a career, you hit that dream number there, or you, uh, you hit the career, or you get so many Instagram followers, or you have so much success, or you finally hit retirement, or whatever it is there, and you think you're going to be satisfied, you'll never get to that destination if it's not God's call and God's will for your life. So when you run from God, you're running from the only one that can satisfy you, the only one that can fulfill you there, the only one that can quench the great, the great hunger in your soul there. And so David said, as the deer pants for the water, so pants my heart for thee, O God. And so my heart is panting for you. And that's how we were wired up in our heart of hearts is to pant, to hunger, to thirst for God. And when we pursue anything else, we will never arrive at that destination. And so Jesus then, he's, he's not some cultural Jesus there, some ship that you can pursue because you want to get to another destination. No, Jesus is the ultimate destination. He's the ultimate destination there. He's the only one that satisfies our thirst of our soul. In your notes there, number four. When you run from God, there's always a high cost. It's never cheap. It's always a high cost there. What's crazy about the story is that Jonah paid an immense amount of money to run from God. He had to buy the whole ship to commandeer the whole ship there. Scholars believe in the original language there indicates that he just didn't buy a ticket. He paid for the entire ship to go then to Tarshish. And so, and isn't it odd there that the one that, that offers us ultimate satisfaction and ultimate happiness, it's free, but we pay for things other than him to try to satisfy our hearts here. But the text tells us this, that there is no way that you can deliberately run from sin and run from God, run from obedience, and not pay some kind of high price. The reality is it's going to cost you. And so James said this in the notes, or it's not in your notes, but on the screens there. It says this, James said this, when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Brings forth death. That's the point. You can pursue these things, a relationship that dies, a marriage dies, a sense of well-being dies, your peace in your heart dies there, your joy dies. And so number five here. It's not only going to cost you, but when we run from God, you become senseless. You ultimately become senseless. So you deny yourself, and the Bible says that we become fools there. So Jonah became a fool. Jonah lost all, all, lost all uh, capacity for self-awareness. They said to him, who are you? 
Jonah said, well, I'm a Hebrew. Like, I'm a religious guy. I'm a church guy. I'm a God guy. They says, but you're disobeying God. And everybody saw it but him. He said, and, uh, and, and I serve God. And they're like, you're doing anything but serving God. So Jonah was like getting senseless. When the ship is breaking apart, there he is in the, in the bowels of the ship there, asleep. And he was bringing all this drama on the whole ship there. And so Jonah goes down and down and down. And you can see here, he just becomes senseless. And then number six is this, that you always hurt others. When you run from God, take it to the bank, you will always hurt others. See, Jonah's walking away from God didn't only impact Jonah, but impact everyone around Jonah. Impact the, the sailors. Even impact the cargo. Is the cargo's going overboard. Impacts the entire ship, though. And so, so running from God not only created a storm from, for Jonah, but created a storm for everybody in close proximity to him. And so if you're, if you're running away from God and there's drama in your life, your drama is going to spill over into everyone else's life. So you will always hurt others. Your life will impact more than just you. Back to your, all your relational circles. If you're married, it'll, it'll impact your spouse or your children or your grandchildren. It'll impact those that you do life with. You always hurt others. And so when you run from God... Lastly, God runs after you. This, this is the great theme of the Bible. This is the gospel here, that God goes after Jonah there. And so, and you may be here this morning, or you may have thought, man, I made such a big mess out of my life. I have so screwed this thing up here. But the Bible says you cannot outrun the grace of God. When you put on your tennis shoes, it's like God puts on his tennis shoes. God runs after you. And when we run, God pursues. This is the great theme of the Bible here, that God seeks you and God pursues you and God chases you down there. And so when we are just like Jonah. So I said that to have the greatest impact of what we're now going to say. Because Jesus talks about Jonah here, and he says this on the screens. You want to look up at the screens, and I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 and 41. It says this, For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus just states it very matter of fact. Doesn't sensationalize, just here's the facts. Verse 41, The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. But now watch this. Now, Jesus says, someone greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus looked at the prophet, who people revered there, but he said, there's someone greater than him. And so, this is really great news. Because I, like Jonah, have said no to God, and I've wondered, and I've done many Jonah-like things. Jonah-esque things. And so where, where he's rescued me. So this morning, we need a message greater than Jonah. Yeah, that's what we're like, but we need a message greater than Jonah here because I need something bigger than the message of Jonah and better than the message of Jonah here. Because God rescues me from all, Jesus rescues me from all my wondering and all my foolishness and when I've said no to him and when I go in a foolish direction here. And so here's how Jesus is better than Jonah. So Jonah here, Jonah ran, we saw the map, Jonah ran from his enemies. He ran from the Ninevites there. 
and he ran 2,500 miles away there, to, or was set to do that, to go to Tarshish. But Jesus, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. In other words, Jesus ran toward his enemies, not away from his enemies. You see here, there is one that's greater than, than Jonah here. And when Jonah disobeyed God, Jonah's mission there to go to the city of Nineveh, and he disobeys. But Jesus obeyed the Father's mission to come to earth, to our broken world, and come to us in all of our brokenness. So Jonah disobeyed, but Jesus obeyed God. There is one who is greater than Jonah. And Jonah thought, man, if I go, if I go to, to Nineveh, I might die. Like they kill people in, in Nineveh, and I might die if I go to Nineveh. But Jesus knew here, Jesus knew that I will die, that the Son of Man is coming to give his life as a ransom for many, that I will die if I come to earth. And he willingly laid down his life for us. So Jonah, who was not willing to die, Jesus was willing to die for us. There was someone who was greater than Jonah. And so Jonah, think about this, he was thrown into the sea. And when he hit the, the water there, the sea became calm. And there was, was there a consequence for his sin? Yes. But the waters became calm. Jesus was thrown on a cross there for the consequence of our sins, that he would die for our sins. And there he would experience not the calmness or peace, but he would experience the wrath of God upon his life for dying for the sins of the world. And this is the gospel here. And so there is someone greater than Jonah. Jesus is greater than Jonah. And so when Jonah was thrown into the sea and he was drowned, they're thrown into the sea, the wrath of God seemingly became stilled. But when Jesus was on the cross, all of our punishment was placed upon him when he was thrown upon the cross, someone greater than Jonah. And Jonah was in the, the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, and he would emerge from that to die again. But Jesus walked out of the belly of the earth who rose from the dead, never to die again. He, forever and ever, he would be alive. And so there is one greater than Jonah, Jesus Christ, the risen one, the one that loves us and pursues us and is here because he alive. he's alive. But my tendency is to be like Jonah. But, but let me ask you this. How do you escape how do you escape being like Jonah? The only way that you don't be like Jonah, there's only one possible way, and that is, is that if you are loved out, watch, you're loved out of going the opposite way. See, and, and, and God sees you going the, the opposite way, and you have no capacity to escape that life. You have no capacity to escape being like Jonah. It's only if the love of a heavenly father would pursue you and, and go after you and chase you down and woo you and romance your heart and, and, and get you to, to not pursue your Jonah-like ways. There's only one way. And that's why Jesus, he's, he's so greater than Jonah that he loves you out of that. It's the goodness of God, 
that leads us to repentance here. So in the middle of our wandering, in the middle of our wandering, it is God who pursues us. And if he didn't pursue us, we wouldn't be here this morning. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just, we're going to worship for a moment. The worship team is, is going to come up. And then we're going to worship. And then what we're going to do after that is we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion together. And we're going to see how communion ties in to what the story there of Jonah. Would you bow your heads with me? And Father, thank you that because of what you've done, our sins are forgiven, our guilt is removed, and we are right with God. Thank you, Father, that though we've been running from you because of what you've done for us, because you've run after us, we can be right with you. And we bless you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.